0: On to today's show. Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome Scott Racky to the show. Scott is the founder and CEO of Remo Energy. Remo is developing a fleet of distributed-scale ammonia plants that use renewable energy to make nitrogen fertilizers at prices competitive with those from the giant natural gas-fueled suppliers. Scott has led the development of new energy businesses for most of his career. His previous roles included VP of Business Development for GMZ Energy and Oscomp Systems. Prior to that, he was the CEO of four venture-backed energy startups. As part of these efforts, he raised over $20 million in venture capital negotiated strategic partnerships and licensing agreements, built multiple technology teams, and directly contributed to the development of a number of unique technologies. Scott, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great, Raj. Uh, Thanks for having me here. It's a real honor.
0: Scott, it's honored to have you on. Before we dig into Remo, I kind of want to go over your background. Fascinating from a founder perspective. I mean, you've been going at this for a long time. If I am correct. All the way back to 1998. Is founderism in your blood?
1: Uh, yes. It's 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 an addiction I can't seem to shake.
0: Tell me about the glutton for punishment.
1: <laughs> uh, please, do we have to? Um, so I have done a number of, of energy-related startups. In fact, most of my career, um, even post-MBA school, was either working for energy-related startups or are uh, running them. So even right out of MBA school, I was uh, involved in an ultracapacitor startup, and then that transformed into something that I was running myself, my first venture round that then uh, morphed into the fuel cell uh, deal celltech power that then uh, did a mitosis and I was running uh, CTP hydrogen. So I've been in this space all through the first clean tech bubble and saw that go through. Um, so I've, I've sort of, um, yeah, I guess the expression is I, I, I know where the bodies are buried because I buried some <laughs> of them myself.
0: <laughs> so what's the allure of energy for you?
1: So I am coming at this from an abundance mentality, frankly, and that's, that's really core to the Remo vision. Energy is the driving force behind quality of life. There are others who have actually tracked energy use per capita over the last thousand years, and the quality of life tracks very well with energy use per capita. It's it's only uh, in the last few decades that it's actually gone off that track as energy efficiency technologies have have become more prominent. But the more energy we can bring to the planet, uh, the better we are. But uh, combined with that, of course, we have to do it in a clean way because we can't have you know, all seven, eight billion of us, uh, having the energy intensity of the United States and be able to live on the planet. So I'm trying to embrace the and and come up with solutions that allow both.
0: I like that. Now you mentioned the first clean tech bubble for those of us that didn't live through it. Can you give us a brief vignette of what that was like? And perhaps tell us your thoughts on where we are in today's energy investment cycle.
1: Okay. Um, well, let's see. You'd probably have to go back to the mid-90s when the talk of uh, of global warming really began to kick in for real. The That spurred a, a number of venture funds being created, and some of those funded my efforts. Uh, the more prominent ones were Vino Khosla's fund and um uh, there was Nth Power and, and a bunch of others, and they were sort of ahead of the curve looking at deals that uh, could make money but also could help the environment, this sort of double bottom line thinking. Unfortunately, at that time, the the economics weren't really there for most of those businesses. Uh, for example, I was in the fuel cell space, and I think the, the number of fuel cell billionaires that you can count is pretty small. Um, the you also had a lot of sort of biofuels investing and, and sort of and all those those things just weren't able to get to cost parity with the um, with the fossil competition. The difference now is that renewable energy already is the lowest cost energy on the planet, and that makes all the difference. That enables a whole slew of new business models that I think are just beginning to get fleshed out now. Now that's the, the technology and business reality. Of course, there are always, um, cycles in venture investing. I I like to say that the venture community, um, moves like a school of fish and with about as much forethought, you know, they jump in and jump out. Um, but the, I, I think that the competitive dynamics now that the core cost of energy now is so low that this sector is here to stay. And maybe the heat of the venture investing may go up and down a little bit, but it's um, this is just a huge growth opportunity. It's, it's the growth opportunity of our generation.
0: And last question about the past. You, know, you were involved with hydrogen back in 2005. Where do you think we are on the hydrogen hype cycle right now?
1: I think it is... I can't remember the names of the specific sections of the cycle, but it's a little bit high for my comfort level. There, There's a lot of push towards this hydrogen vision. Um, when you hear about models to replace natural gas in the home with hydrogen, you know that people are, are kind of going out on a limb. Uh, I wish they would put on their their engineering mindset a little bit more.
0: I appreciate that insight. So switching gears, we touched on Remo Energy earlier. Can you give us an overview of Remo Energy and your role at the organization?
1: Sure. So I'm I'm the founder and CEO of Remo Energy. Remo was founded to help move renewable energy to market as renewable molecules. And what I mean by that is using the now very low-cost renewable energy and connecting that to modular distributed chemical plants, and we're starting with ammonia, because that's the easiest chemical to make, uh, to uh, make these, these critically important materials for the economy, but doing it in a distributed way. So Remo is focusing on plants that are sized and designed for the attributes of renewable energy projects. So renewable energy projects are typically measured in hundreds of megawatts, not multiple gigawatts. Uh, they uh, renewable energy systems uh, typically go up and down very quickly. So we need to design a, a plant that can follow these rapidly changing and intermittent loads. And they need to be able to be turned off quickly. So they can they can turn down to a fraction of their nameplate. Conventional plants Uh, have never been able to do this. You turn them on and you leave them on, generally at a fixed power, until you have to turn them off.
0: So you said modular and distributed. Let's break those apart for a moment. Can you share what the modular looks like?
1: So what we're doing is we are... Designing plants that can be mass-produced in fabrication yards in places like Oklahoma and Texas, so using the existing uh, oil and gas ecosystem, and making those to um, in such a way that you can assemble them in pieces that can be put on a uh, the back of a truck and brought to a site and dropped onto a concrete pad and assembled very quickly. You need to contrast that with. Uh, a conventional chemical plant. A conventional chemical plant is on the order of 20 times bigger, uh, like a conventional ammonia plant. It is uh, multiple billion dollars to construct. It's usually on the order of 10 years to construct. And the, um, the way that's done is that the company that wants to build such a plant goes to a Small set of engineering firms that typically have proprietary technology, so they'll design your plant, but they'll also charge you a royalty once the plant is operating. And then uh, that design then goes to a handful of EPCs that have the fa- fabrication capability to actually build the plant. And the plant is assembled over several years on site. It's what they call a stick-built plant. And any plant that, to a layman, looks like an r- oil refinery is generally made in this way. Uh, more recently, they're trying to make those very large plans more modular, but it's it's generally a very special purpose assembly process. What we're talking about is uh, exchanging economies of scale for economies of production. So making something that doesn't require um, proprietary technology from a third party. We we've filed a patent on our design, uh, but using... Um, Uh, designs that are so simple they can be easily made so that an entire plant can go from nothing to operating in something more like 18 months to two years.
0: And the distributed portion of it?
1: So the distributed portion is designing the plant to accommodate the source of the energy. So as we decarbonize these large pieces of our economy, we're going to need to build far more renewable energy than is out there now. And so, the most efficient way to uh, connect those to our plants is to do it behind the meter, literally co locating um, the, the plant, whether it's an ammonia plant or, or some other uh, material, at the same substation where the uh, wind farm or the solar farm connects to the grid. And uh, by connecting behind the meter, it both protects the grid, so we're not using the transmission system, but we're also buying power at the lowest possible price.
0: And what sources of renewable energy can your plant use?
1: Well, really, we can use any source of electricity. It doesn't have to be renewable per se. Uh, I'm of the camp that believes that if it's zero carbon, it should be called renewable. So we could run on nuclear power, uh, and. Uh, other companies are talking about doing that.
0: And we know that solar, daytime, wind challenges, how does the plant deal with those challenges of intermittent power?
1: So by being smaller and by deliberately designing with this power uh, profile in mind, uh, we're able to follow that intermittent source. Uh, we, we've, we've, Built um, not only is this sort of a mechanical slash chemical engineering effort, but we've also built uh, some proprietary code so that we can economically optimize how the plant runs hour to hour and simulate how it would do in specific market conditions. So if a if a renewable developer comes to us with a what's what's called an eighty-seven sixty, that's the projected hourly output over the course of a year. We can simulate what the plant economics will be um, incorporating that that variable profile, those very high ramp rates, those periods of, of zero power, and uh, able to get to uh, very compelling
0: economics
1: with uh, even with these intermittent sources.
0: And how big is the footprint of one of your facilities?
1: Oh, relative
0: to uh,
1: renewable, tiny. So even a uh, hundred megawatt scale plant would fit in uh, a handful of acres. In my uh, mind, I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, just to give you a sense of scale, when you build, say, a multi-hundred megawatt uh, PV. Facility, you dedicate a small piece of land as your laydown yard where goods are delivered to the EPC that's constructing the facility. Uh, our plants would easily fit in the typical laydown yard.
0: So, in my mind, I'm imagining something that looks like a multi-level forty-foot container. Am I close?
1: Um, yeah, we, the standard. Um, way you manufacture these modules are in 12-foot cubes. So you have a steel frame and then you would have uh, various vessels uh, and piping assembled into this frame. It's like an open-walled shipping container in in a sense, but it's a little wider than that. And the, uh, the modules can be one, two, or three cubes and still fit on the back of a truck, Uh, they would need uh, the sort of the easiest levels of oversized permits, but are typically moved on highways.
0: Now, how is your conversation with renewable power producers coming along? Uh,
1: Actually, we have interest from multiple developers who are um, uh, interested in, in becoming you know, involved in these projects because we we offer a way to take uh, renewable energy to market in a new way. So, if you talk to any developer, they'll have a pipeline of projects. Uh, many of those projects will never get built. And often the reason they don't get built is because they can't find offtake. We can take that losing plant and turn it into a winning plant because we can move those megawatt hours to market as molecules. Uh, we can literally put it, them into rail cars and sell them to the market uh, nationally. So that this creates a lot more flexibility in the renewable development market. So no. they are, uh, needless to say, quite interested.
0: Now you mentioned molecules, you mentioned ammonia. What other products can be created from your plants? So we
1: have uh, sort of pencil designs, early stage designs for methanol plants uh, on one side, but that requires a, a source of green carbon dioxide. And we also have a um, uh, some ideas on how to Take, it, take the ammonia and go to other fertilizers uh, that are commonly used globally. So the U.S. uses anhydrous ammonia, ammonia directly as a fertilizer. They literally inject it into the ground where they, uh, they drag a small ammonia tank behind the tractor. And then there are pipes from the tank that go to little blades that inject uh, the gas Sort of four to six inches below the soil, the ammonia binds into the soil immediately so it doesn't make it to the atmosphere. That's the lowest cost form of nitrogen, and farmers in the US use it for that reason. But uh, more commonly, especially globally, our nitrogen based fertilizers or ammonia-based fertilizers like urea and uh, ammonium nitrate and often a water-based solution that's used throughout the U.S. called urea ammonium nitrate. So they take the, the two um, compounds there and dissolve them into water. And it's uh, much safer to handle more widely distributed in the U.S.
0: Now, we're recording August 3rd, 2022. Earlier this year, Russia and Ukraine, headline news, how has that event changed the interest, if it has at all, in your business?
1: Well, it's made the business model even more compelling. What some people who aren't aware of the agricultural sector don't know is that the cost of ammonia is typically the first or second largest cost input to the farm. And we're talking uh, primarily corn farming, but corn is an input to everything else. It's an input to ethanol. It's a, a key Component of feed that goes into poultry and beef uh, and swine. So uh, it's kind of this uh, base feedstock for many other products. And the price of ammonia has gone up by a factor of four over the last year. So farmers are just screaming. They're, they're, this is um, very difficult for them. There was concern about actual food shortages uh, come the fall because what's Happen is um, what when I speak to farmers in places like Iowa, they they tell me directly that farmers are going to be planting less corn uh, because they can't get the ammonia at a reasonable price, and so uh, they they can't take that financial risk, and so the the crop, the yields in the fall will be less, and that will hit the market later.
0: So what I've been hearing and reading, you know, you mentioned four times the price, but Farmers in emerging markets such as Africa are paying even more for that, and are actually perhaps there's going to be an issue around famine due to the unaffordability of fertilizers.
1: Yes, it's it's a really um, it's not just an economic problem; it's it's becoming a a, well a human tragedy and a geopolitical stability question. Food is something that we've sort of taken for granted. The um, your, your listeners should. Be aware that uh, if it were not for synthetic uh, ammonia, synthetic fertilizer, that the Earth could not support the number of people that it does now. It could support probably half or so, maybe even less. And it's only because of fertilizer that that uh, many of these countries can feed themselves. Well, it, when you can't feed yourself, um, it's a, a short step to you know governments falling. And so the um, if you have a, a food shortage, you end up with things like the Arab Spring. And so um, one of the, I call it a, a, a philosophical driver for Remo, is that these poor countries are at the mercy of other countries that have low-cost natural gas. So th- the way they get fertilizer is countries that have natural gas use natural gas to make synthetic fertilizer, and then that fertilizer is, is shipped typically to the countries that don't have energy resources. The Remo model, by combining with the renewable energy, allows these countries to be independent of that. To, that It allows them to not be at the mercy of other countries for their food security. And I think that's going to lead to just overall greater geopolitical security in time.
0: And if anyone listening is really wants to find out more about ammonia and fertilizer, they can just Google Fritz Haber, Haber and kind of see how, as you mentioned, if it wasn't for him, and I know there's some controversy around him regarding his helping the Nazis later on, but um, you know, creating that process enabled us to maintain or actually sustain the population that we have today.
1: Absolutely. The world today looks the way it does because of that technology. And it's one of these sort of hidden technologies that the average person may never have heard of.
0: That and, you know, we were speaking briefly before we started recording. BASF, one of the largest producers of fertilizer, I believe, is talking about curtailing their production because of energy issues in Germany, especially coming up in this winter. So,
1: yes, because uh, ammonia is made from natural gas and um, and most nitrogen synthetic fertilizers are made from ammonia, uh, it is tightly correlated with the price of natural gas. Ammonia is also moved by ship internationally, and so it's kind of like crude oil. So if you take off uh, capacity in some parts of the market, the market for ammonia globally goes up, and that's what's caused this 4X spike in the price of ammonia. Because of the uh, situation in Ukraine... um, much of the production, Ukraine and Russia, has been taken off the market. And the cost of natural gas in Europe has risen so much that that production has been taken off the market. And that's just created this horrible price shock in fertilizer, which is now going to just filter down to to food.
0: Now, earlier I joked about founderism, but why Remo? Why now? And I'm saying now, and I know it's 2020, I believe, but why now? Why Remo?
1: Well, it's a combination of factors. Only recently, and when I say recently, let's say the last four years or so, three years or so, have renewable energy prices broadly come down low enough that this has really gotten interesting. the The standardization of renewable development has um, has been, I think, sort of core. We we all see the metrics that more and more renewable gets fielded every year, but that is because the um, the combination of the developers and the project equity investors have now gotten very comfortable with that class of investments, and that's enabled sort of the mass production, if you will, of uh, renewable energy deployment. That, in turn, has driven down the price and uh, has enabled business models like REMA. Now, th- I guess the other thing is, to make the Remo model work, you you need to be able to understand a lot of different universes. So you need to understand chemical engineering, you need to understand the um, ag distribution chain and, and how that works, and you un- need to understand um, renewable development and structured project finance. So you kind of need to span these universes to put this kind of model together.
0: And... With your 20 plus years experience, I see that you have solar, hydrogen, PV storage. Um, I didn't see any ag experience. Did you bring that person on as part of the team?
1: Uh, we're actually um, have brought on a. Um a person from the ammonia industry who is our CTO. So he spent the first ten years of his career designing ammonia plants for one of the companies, uh, a company called Casale, which has engineered half the world's ammonia plants. The um, so that's what allowed us to handle the chemical engineering side of this, and then the ag. Um, this was my uh, my COVID project. Um, so um, so literally, oh, yeah. this the story goes. Um, <laughs> That I um, uh, first Solar decided to get out of the development business at the end of 2019, and so come March of 2020, I was uh, sitting on a nice severance because First Solar was just going to make solar panels and that was it. And I was wondering what to do. Um, now I could have gotten a job at any one of a number of developers, but that founder's bug was was itching again, and because of my experience at First Solar, where I kind of learned the project finance side and the techno-economic modeling, I decided to reach back to my fuel cell days and say, you know what? I know enough chemistry to model an ammonia plant. Why don't I see what I could do? And I was very surprised to find that um, the numbers pencil. I was getting much better IRRs than you can get in conventional uh, renewable development. So I called up a friend of mine who had been at First Solar and was sort of second command at a big renewable developer. And I, I said, here's my idea. And I gave sort of the proto pitch. And I said, your boss ought to hire me to come do this. This is where the world is going. And he said, it's a great idea, but my boss would never do it. There's no standard hardware. There's no standard. Uh, standard deal structures. The, the, there's no lawyers we can go to. There's no EPCs that will wrap this. And conventional developers are um, very transactional. They're coming from the private equity industry. So they would never do this. And that's when a light went on that there was an opportunity to create a new platform that sits between renewable development and the potential offtake of these renewable
0: molecules. So first of all, I'm glad that during COVID, you didn't follow the uh, sourdough bread trend and everything else, and you decided to focus your energy here. I'm not saying that there wasn't
1: any sourdough baked
0: in my house. Tell me about the name, Remo.
1: So Remo is short for renewable molecules, and we're calling it renewable energy because of this theme that this is really about an energy product, moving renewable energy to market as a renewable molecule. How
0: have you financed the project until, up till now?
1: So uh, we have a couple of great um, lead investors in Breakthrough Energy Ventures and uh, AIM. We recently announced that we just closed a uh, $5.25 million, what we call a C-plus round, uh, but BEV uh, actually had uh, seeded uh, sort of a little bit of incubation money at the beginning of 21.
0: That's fantastic. Now, as I mentioned, 20-plus years in the industry what are some of the most valuable lessons you've learned about yourself?
1: Well, um, never, never underestimate how much you are, um, probably making the problem too easy. And now there's a, a funny saying I saw the other day that said that every major thing worth doing always starts with vastly underestimating the time and difficulty to accomplish it. But, um, you know, having done this, it's it's the uh, that Dunning Kruger effect. All of these problems look far easier than when you you get started. So it's it's super important to um, be aware of that tendency in yourself and try to uh, attack risk uh, just constantly to uh, to make it to the finish line.
0: How do you deal with, let's say, projects or instances where things are? running late or perhaps running behind?
1: Um, well, m- my personal style is brutal honesty. And uh, you want to make sure that all of your stakeholders, and for early stage startups, that's primarily your investors, are always kept fully informed of where you are, uh, where you want to get to, what are the problems you need to overcome, what are the strategies you're going to use to overcome them. and. Um, that enables a few things a it builds trust of course because they they feel they they know exactly what's going on all the time but it also allows them to be part of the story it allows them to use their own resources um, when they can to to help solve these problems to introduce the company to people who might be able to help or potential customers potential strategic partners so by by being completely transparent, uh, I think, that's how you deal with the inevitable challenges of creating something new.
0: You know, I've spoken to a lot of investors over time, both on the VC and um, institutional, and so many of them echo that same sentiment that they want to know the bad news as quickly as possible.
1: Well, I'm—I'm I'm consider myself uh, at heart an engineer. The joke I always tell is I went to MBA school, but it didn't take. I'm still an engineer, and um, engineers have. Um, kind of a moral code about truth, which is that if you are dishonest as an engineer, people can die. Um, so you you really have to be completely honest all the time or the machine doesn't work. And I just kind of look at building a company as an extension of that. You, you're trying to make all these pieces function together and um, you better be honest about how they all work.
0: I love that idea of adopting that engineering mindset into life. That's really, really interesting. So let's fast forward the clock. Let's say it's 10 years from now, or let's round it out to 2030. If Forbes, Fortune, Wall Street Journal, pick your publication, were to write a headline and perhaps even a short paragraph about Remo Energy, what would you like it to read?
1: Well, something to the effect of of how Remo Energy um, reformed what had been the petrochemical industry and turned it into um, the renewable molecule industry, that we would have fleets of plants all over the world and uh, making all sorts of vital commodities that are, are necessary. You can't electrify every single process uh, in our industrial economy. And Remo is there to, uh, to make green the, the physical materials that are needed.
0: You know, you mentioned uh, fleets around the world. And have you seen any interest from renewable power suppliers from across the world?
1: Well, I haven't been approached by developers offshore yet. Remo is still a seed stage company, but I have been approached by multiple large renewable developers in the U.S. And um, they've been thinking this way, too. They just haven't been able to find all the pieces and put them together. That hardware piece, making a modular load following Haber-Bosch plant, is non-trivial. So we we put a lot of effort into that um, to to develop that design and and worked with outside uh, uh, EPCs to to validate our cost model. Uh, Combine that with the pretty sophisticated techno-economic modeling to be able to model how these plants will perform financially before you build them and then how you run them hour to hour when they're actually up and going. There's a lot of different pieces that all need to come together here. So I think that has got them
0: intrigued. Absolutely. So last question and with your experience, I'm excited to hear your answer, but if you could share some advice, words of wisdom, recommendations, and it could be personal professional, what would it be?
1: Well, um, I guess I have um, two levels of advice. So, um, you know, the lesson that I personally learned is when you're a, an entrant in a new business, it's you may have an interesting uh, technology and an interesting financing angle and, and you can get your inputs, but you really need to be intimate with your um, the competitive landscape, the competitive dynamics of the distribution chain that you're going to sell into. The, often there are hidden... Uh, alliances or levers of control that make it harder for a new entrant. So uh, understand your customer first, and then let that drive your business. That's that's sort of the the more sophisticated lesson. The lesson I, I would give to younger folks who are just getting into the entrepreneurship game, or and especially if they're coming from a technical field, is that the the huge lessons uh, underlined and in, in bold case is. Uh, a technology is not a business. It's a long, long way to take a technology, even just to a product, and a product is not a business. Uh, whatever you you think it should take to take that technology and productize it, uh, whatever a reasonable time is, multiply that by three, and then you have to build a business around that. And that's when really understanding the value pr- proposition. Um, it's it's critical to understand who's going to be buying your product, why it's compelling. Um, How good a deal do you need to offer them to get them to switch to your product? How are you going to finance it? What metrics do your investors need to see? Who are your competitors? And no matter what you think, there are always competitors. Uh, How will they respond to your offering? You you really need to view uh, the entire business holistically and not just fall in love with your mousetrap.
0: You know, Scott, there are so many nuggets in what you just said, Um, the path to commercialization a lot of what we do is we speak to early stage companies, technologists, perhaps in a lab, pilot scale, bench scale, and you know they want to scale up their product, and that that valley of death, if you will, it it can be it can be ominous. So I hope people listening take that to heart. I really appreciate your time today. Best of luck with Remo Energy, and I look forward to catching up with you again soon.
1: Well, I I greatly appreciate uh, the honor and the opportunity to talk with you, and uh, I hope to cross paths again.
0: Thank you, Scott. Take care. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. And you can show your support by sharing our show with a friend or reach out to us on social media where you'll find us under our Nexus PMG handle. If there's a subject or topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email btu at nexuspmg.com or contact me via our website nexuspmg.com and while you're there you can sign up for our monthly newsletter where we share what we're reading and thinking about in the clean tech green tech sectors bigger than us is a nexus pmg production